Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to create game-changing disruption. I'm Sean Nason, founder of Man on Fire, and your host for the Combustion Chronicles. Throughout this series, we're bringing together the most unique and influential minds we could find to have honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, blowing shit up, and working together to influence our shared future. We believe that when bold leaders ignite consumer-centric ideas with passion and grit, the result is an explosion that creates a better world for all of us. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Harper, Chief of Radical Experiences at Mophie. On today's episode, we're speaking with Ryan Serhant. Ryan began his first day in the real estate business on September 15th of 2008. That's the same day that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy in the wake of the subprime mortgage collapse. While the real estate sector has slowly recovered, Serhant himself has become one of the most successful brokers in the world at 35 years old, with agents under his leadership across the United States. And last year alone, he and his team sold just under $1 billion in real estate. He is currently on Bravo's eighth season of Million Dollar List in New York. Ryan's debut book, Sell It Like Serhant, launched September 18th of 2018. And Ryan's vlog has reached great success as well as his online real estate course, showing there is nothing he can't do. Ryan, welcome today. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, Ryan, it is so good to have you. And I have to say, I've watched all eight seasons of A Million Dollar List in New York. And Oh, nice. Uh, yes. So when uh, my wife and I are ready to move to New York City, we'll be calling you. Um, oh, you're the best. I'll be here. <laughs> So, Ryan, let's go back to 2008. As the big crisis hit and the housing bubble burst here in America, we are facing arguably the most significant financial crisis since the Great Depression. Yeah. At a time when most would be running the other direction from the housing market, not you, you jumped in head first. So talk us through that time in your life and what pushed you in that direction. Yeah. In hindsight, it's uh, it's an interesting story. At the time, it was... Um, it was just because I had my back up against a wall. I graduated college in 2006. I had always only really had a passion for theater. You know, like growing up, I wasn't interested in math or history or tech or anything like being on stage, pretending to be other people, taking acting classes. Like that's just what I loved to do. And, you know, I saved up money from, you know, summer jobs, high school through college. And, you know, I had enough saved up where I thought I could make it for a couple years in New York City. And I told my parents, listen, I'm going to try to go to law school because I should probably become a lawyer because that's what you do when you graduate college in the United States. But if I can't get in or bomb that test, I'm going to New York City and I got to, I got to at least try. Like I'll, I'll never be able to live with myself because I only have one life to live. If I don't try, the acting thing, because then at least I'll know. So I took the LSAT, totally bombed it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bomb it on purpose. I tried. I studied. I took the course. I did everything. It's just, it's a tough test and not for me. So I bombed it and then said, okay. And so I moved to the city in the summer of 2006. I had some success. I mean, I got onto a soap opera called As the World Turns. I did some modeling stuff, but mostly I just burned through all my cash. I did a lot of auditioning. I got a lot of rejection and it was tough. And by the summer of 2008, so two years later, I was then at a point where like, I just got to get a job to afford my rent in New York or I got to move home and re-figure out what I want to do with my life. And I knew that if I left New York City, I would never come back. 
it's just, it's too hard of a move. There's too much change. You know, there's just too much to think about. So I wanted to figure out how it could at least prolong it. And instead of being a bartender, a waiter, getting a temp job as a receptionist or anything like that, a friend of mine said, listen, real estate is the greatest business in the world. Get your real estate license. This is the summer of 08. Okay. Get your real estate license, post ads on Craigslist and sell apartments. Right. And you can sell an apartment or rent an apartment every month and that'll pay all your bills and then some. And then you can do whatever you want because as a real estate agent, you know, you're your own boss. You're an entrepreneur. You can do make your own time. And now I know that that was a total lie, but it worked on me and it convinced me. So I got my real estate license, which is pretty easy to do and became a real estate agent. And my first day, you know, my license like the 13th or something. And then I think it was a Friday maybe or I can't remember. And then my first day was the morning that Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And it was all over the news, CNBC and everything. And I was uh, at our main office that for the company that I still work at today in Midtown. And I was just sitting there. You know, I didn't have any money though. So for everybody else who had a job or who had money, the 2008 financial collapse was really scary. You know, kind of like right now. All of a sudden, you can't go to work, can't get paid, can't do anything. It's a scary time. For me at the time, I didn't have money anyway. Like I was used to living in New York City on $0 and cooking one little thing of chicken on Sundays and having it last me six more days. Like I was okay. I just thought that real estate was really, really hard. I thought that people just lost their jobs all the time. And so only a couple of years later, looking back, once life kind of got back to normal and I started really kind of getting into it as a career and not just a job, did I realize, oh man, what a crazy time to get into this business. But it was the best time, right? I got into it when everyone else was getting out. Kind of sounds like during that time, you balls to the wall, here we go. I love your perspective, what you said. You just thought that that's what the industry was. It was just tough, right? And you were not scared of it. So talk to me, like, talk to me more about, you know, you don't seem to be, you're not risk adverse, you're not afraid. But during that time, were you afraid at all of what you were just getting ready to enter into? At that time, not really, man. Like I, I was more afraid of getting evicted from my apartment because I couldn't pay rent. I was more afraid of not being able to afford food. And then, listen, I wasn't going to be homeless, but I was more afraid of failure in general that I, you know, just to like my parents. Like I, I was afraid of that phone call. Like that phone call where I was going to pick up the phone and call my parents and say, I fucked it up. I need help. I need you to send me money right away. I'm not going to be able to make rent tomorrow and I don't have enough money for food and I'm sorry. And you told me not to do this because New York City is the hardest city to live in, the most expensive and the most dangerous. And I did it anyway. And you know they would have probably sent me a little bit of money, but then made sure I came home right away. And like that phone call scared me way more than the market or real estate or anything else. And I think that that phone call was really like my wall. Right? It was what I had my back up against was this kind of embarrassment and the fear of failure and just proving to everybody who had so much hope for me that I wouldn't fail and that I could actually make something of myself in New York City. And that chip, I think, is still on my shoulder to this day, consistently waking up, looking at what the world has to offer for me today, not paying attention to yesterday, not stressing about tomorrow, but today... What is the world going to give me and what can I take from it? And let's go. And let's prove to everybody else that we're going to do it better and that we're going to do it bigger. And so 
That phone call to my parents is way scarier than anything else. But let's go there, man, right? So fear of failure absolutely is that motivator. But I mean, you've had to have had some failures along the way, right? How do you stack up those failures against each other? I mean, you can't get to where you are without taking your licks, right? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, Babe Ruth hit all those home runs, but he also had more strikeouts than anybody else because he swung the most, right? I think about that and, you know, things like that all the time. I don't know if you're watching The Last Dance on ESPN right now, you know, with Michael Jordan, but, you know, for all the buzzer beaters that he made that have been watched 10 billion times on YouTube and this, that, the other, he missed more of them. But no one talks about those because no one cares, right? But people remember the good stuff. But yeah, dude, my first two years in the city were just nonstop failure. Getting rejected to my face, like as an actor in New York City or a wannabe actor, right? What you basically are, you're an unemployed person masquerading around as somebody of some sort of importance and yet it's all bullshit. So you go to these lines, you stand in lines to try to get seen, you submit your headshots, your resumes, you spend all this money. And then I would go in and, and it's all personal, right? It's not, it's not like real estate, which is pretty objective. You know, if someone doesn't want to work with me, to buy an apartment because they probably don't like that apartment. That's an objective reason. As an actor in the city, I got turned down so much because of my hair color, because of my, you know, my nose, because of uh, my face, right? Or I'm too tall or my voice. Like it's so personal. It can beat you up. And so when I got into real estate, my skin was already so thick from such personal rejection in Manhattan for two years that Everyone else who gets into real estate and then gets out because they can't handle the rejection of someone saying they were going to take an apartment and then not taking it. For me, I was like, well, they're not taking it because of my hair. They're not taking it because of my nose. They're taking it because they found another apartment. I mean, I would have loved to make the money, but at least it's not personal. And I think that's really what got me through those first couple of years in the real estate business that are so hard for others. So thick skin, I mean, is that a secret to success in all of this? Oh, I mean, it's not just my secret to success. I mean, it's, I think it's one of the many secrets to success for anybody. You've got to have thick skin. You got to roll with the punches. You got to be okay with other people saying things about you. And you got to understand that no one knows what's right, what's wrong. I mean, look at anyone who's successful today. A lot of them, you're like, how the hell did that person make it? It's because that person didn't give a shit what anybody else was saying or doing. They just kept going. They just kept going. They had a mission in mind. And one thing that I tell everybody, you know, they're like, oh, how did you decide to be a, a big successful real estate broker and be on TV and books and all that stuff? And I'm like, I didn't. I never chose to be a successful real estate broker. What I chose in a large part because of, of the fear of it not happening, I chose to be successful, right? Success first. No matter what I do, I've got one life to live and I don't know what happens after it. Eventually I'm going to die and that is it, probably, right? And so how do I make the most of every single fucking day? And I'm going to be successful. And I hope it's as an actor. Like that's what I initially wanted. Like, I want to be in movies, TV. I want to do all that. And it didn't work out. I ran out of money. So what? Like, it's okay. I didn't treat it like a brick wall like so many people do, you know, where it's like, oh God, my passion is not working out. I got to leave. I can't do this. Like, no, it's... I gave it my best shot, ran out of money. Okay, what's next? 
real estate, ugh, that sounds terrible. But how can I also make it my own? And that's really what I've done since 2008. I've disrupted the whole brokerage business in New York, which has now kind of trickled out to the rest of the country and you know, created real estate teams, sold things over TV and Instagram and YouTube, which no one ever used to do. And you know, done creative marketing, which no one ever used to do. You know, I helped turn a business that used to be retirees and soccer moms into a business that people actually want to do when they get out of school instead of becoming lawyers and instead of becoming doctors and instead of going into finance because we made it cool and fun and different. You know, it's entrepreneurial without having to carry inventory. And so it's, I don't know, figured out a way to make it work, but success first, right? Choose success first and let success back yourself into a career. Be much happier that way. I love that, Ryan. You know, I'm about 13 years older than you. And in my fourth career, kind of that same projection with a musician, actually got bored in that life, did other things. But it is this whole choice of success and just deciding I'm going to be successful. And if I make a lot of money doing that and what I'm successful at, well, fuck yeah. Like I'm excited. I'm going to live a good life. We're yeah. going to enjoy it and enjoy. Yeah enjoy it with those around us. I know for me, you, I loved where you were talking about those two years. There's two pivotal moments even in my life. I worked for a, a fairly big corporate healthcare company and I had a leader. She looked at me and said, someday you're going to come back crawling, asking for your job back. Right. And I keep that. And then a couple of years ago, I had a gentleman write me an email that basically told me that I was nothing and that just stay in the corner and stick to my knitting, is what <laughs> this person said to me. And I keep that email in my email box, never leaves. Because when I start to doubt this moment, this mindset, yep. I read that and it's kind of my fuck you to them, right? So, yeah, man. It's like having that rejection folder, you know? Yeah, gotta, yeah like, gotta go to the rejection folder to get my, uh, my dose today, right? Yeah. You started to dive into this, and I love it because you have, you have radically turned the industry into something, um, again, that's not just soccer moms anymore or, you know, old retired men. And you even talked about some of your approaches. I'd love to dig in and just today when you're meeting with your teams, when you're doing the things, what mindsets are you looking for? What mindsets are you teaching them to say, you know, You've got to do this. You've got to be this way. And how does that influence your thinking with them and for them out in the market? With the, the agents and people who work for me? Yes. Yeah. The first thing I look for with anybody is energy. Right? I need positive energy. I need good energy. I need live energy. I need awake energy. You know, I need unrelenting energy. It's really what defines, I think, the uber successful people from just everybody else because energy gets you up in the morning. It makes you wake up earlier. It makes you stay in the office later. It makes you think about different ways to pivot your business when shit hits the fan like it's happening right now. So I really look for energy and I, I preach energy all the time. On top of that, I, I look for enthusiasm, right? Like one of the things that I, I really need out of people is I need them to be excited about life. When shit hits the fan, in real estate sales, shit hits the fan every day, all day, right? Someone's suing someone, someone's pulling out of a deal, some seller's firing you, some buyer's not calling you back. Like in a year though, you're only going to remember the good things, just like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan and right, their amazing, amazing work. But during it, 
all you're going to focus on are the missed swings and the missed baskets. And so you've got to be able to have the enthusiasm every day to make sure that you are cool with it, right? Use it, fire, like it's awesome. And so I ask everyone who works for me before I hire them, I ask them to tell me about the greatest day of their life. And I want them to, what I look for is I really look for them to open up to me. You know, if they just say, the day my daughter was born, that's not someone who has the enthusiasm in their personality to be able to connect to a buyer, to be enthusiastic about that apartment that they really like, that they want to purchase, right? That person's going to be like, oh, you like that? Okay, great. Let's put it on our list. That's not somebody who can sell something, right? There's too much work for me. And then I also ask them to tell me about their worst day they've ever had. I need them to have empathy as well. I need them to be able to, to look at me and have tears in their eyes when they tell me about the day their mom died or their grandmother or their dog or their divorce. You know, I need them to be able to open up because that's all we have, right? We, all we have is the power of human connection. And as a salesperson, like, I don't sell real estate. You know, I think that's why this ended up working for me so well because it's not really about the real estate and I don't really give a shit about crown moldings. I could care less. I don't know all the different types of stone that you could put in a kitchen or a bathroom. I mean, I have an idea, but I really don't care. You know, my job is to connect buyers to sellers, sellers to buyers and to manage relationships and to talk to people and have them make choices on real estate with me that they were going to make anyway, but they chose to do it with me because... No one likes being sold, but everybody loves shopping with friends. And so kind of like all that combined is what I look for. Yeah. As I said, I've watched you in all seasons. And yeah, I think sometimes uh, the other brokers give you a hard time about not knowing all the right terminology or the when this was built and what stones and all that. But that power of healing connection is even what thrives in our ecosystem and within our consulting group and some of our non-for-profit work. We actually have this concept, Ryan, that we call creative disruption. And you mentioned the word disruption a little bit ago. Do you see creative disruption playing a role in your work and how? I mean, I, I think that's what I do every day. I mean, I get business because I'm a creative disruptor. You know, I'm not just a real estate broker. We have a we have a whole media company that's part of my team. There's no other real estate sales team that has a media company that they built out, paid for, and crafted. You know, I've got seven full-time people that support my entire team with new forms of media to sell our properties through YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Like we, you know, the world is moving in different places. We we just sold an eleven million dollar apartment through YouTube. No one else has done that before, ever, like ever. And so, you know, we're shaking things up, uh, letting people copy us, which is great. It makes me realize that what we're doing is working, you know, and we're also growing through education. I don't buy agents like a lot of brokerages do. I don't offer incentives to agents like a lot of brokerages do to expand. We have a training program that's pretty massive and global. And agents who take it, who learn to sell the way I do, and who have the same beliefs, same principles, and the same work ethic that I do, who are in it, are the ones who then help me expand. Like we, We're now talking to a group in Singapore about kind of opening up our first Asian office because the group takes my course. And they kill it over there, but they need some brand exposure that attaches them to America. And I'm that guy. So we're having that conversation. I never would have ever gone there had it not been for the course and the connection to those guys. And you know that's an opportunity, right? Success first. Yeah. And so just for the listeners of this, let's be clear that between Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
TikTok, you have over 2 million followers, which is pretty impressive in the uh, social media world. But to think about having 2 million followers that are, are watching your real estate group and what you do. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you just sold an apartment for $11 million via YouTube. Like, that's just fucking unheard of. You know, everyone says, you know, the person has to be there. But I've watched a couple of your your vlogs and you talked about this Sirhan Media Group. And why did you feel like the vlog was something that you wanted to do or needed to do? What brought that about? I definitely did not want to do it, nor did I think I needed to do it. Actually, we put our vlog out last night. We do one you know, on YouTube every Wednesday at 8 p.m. And it was all about that, actually, the power of vlogging and how it's changed my business and helped me really grow my business. But I developed a media team to help me honestly make property tours and videos for our properties that we had to do anyway. And to help me with social, right? Because social, given our exposure on Million Dollar Listing, social had kind of become a, a business for us. And so I just needed help. There's only so much I can do by myself. And I wanted to help the team too. I mean, you know, a lot of people. And then, you know, they came to me and they said, listen, we really think there's an opportunity that real estate agents are missing on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, but YouTube is kids. The people that are successful on YouTube, really, they're either playing video games, playing with toys, doing weird stuff, you know, goofing off. It's like kids, it's teens. And they were like, yeah, but the view counts are insane and the exposure is massive and YouTube is going to be the next TV when this generation doesn't need TV. And so I, I really kind of like push it off, push it off. And then I go on a trip. It's like two and a half years ago with my sister and her kids. Kids are like 12 and 16. And we go on a trip and we go to a hotel and uh, the hotel doesn't have TV. And I'm like freaking out. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just sit on my phone all day? Or no, you don't have TV? What movies? Like, what are we going to do? And the kids couldn't have cared less. They had their Wi-Fi. They had their tablets. Everything they watch, they watch it digitally. They literally only watch TV when their parents have them sit down and watch something. So I immediately then sent a message to the media team. I was like, hey, yeah, that vlog idea that's stupid that everyone's going to make fun of me for doing, which happened. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it right away. There's a future in this. And I want to start doing it now before everybody else does it. Because sooner than later, everyone's going to do it. Everyone's going to have a vlog. Everyone's going to have a YouTube channel. And then I don't want to then be lost in the mix. Let's carve a path now. Let's get millions of subscribers now and be the first. Right? Let's be a pioneer and not a follower. And it's worked out. So glad I went on that trip. That is kind of a mind-blowing time. I have a four-year-old soon to be five and he still walks up to the TV and tries to swipe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's, it's just a big tablet, right? It's not what, yeah. what's this TV. Well, when was the last time you listened to a record? Right? Like it's, it's not bad. It's just the way of the world. You know, it's like everyone looking at COVID right now, blaming the pandemic on what's about to happen to all movie theaters. It's like, no, man, like who wants to go and sit in a room with a hundred other strangers and chairs that people drop popcorn on and watch a movie that you can just see at home? Like that's way better. So COVID's not going to kill movie theaters. People are going to kill movie theaters and the ability to stream and have things on demand, right? Our attention is gone. We have no attention anymore. And that's also the power of YouTube. Like our longest vlogs really are like 10 minutes and 30 seconds. And those are long. People just don't have attention anymore. They need immediate, immediate information. And they don't want to watch commercials. They don't want to be sold. And they want to consume entertaining content. And then they want to be sold stories, right? So the creative disruption, to go back to one of your earlier questions, really is that we don't... I don't create 
content and media about real estate, right? I create content and media about stories where the skeleton is the real estate, but I let people get interested in the story and I entertain them. And in that entertainment comes real estate. And that's what people don't want to see. Like no one goes online and just watches virtual tours of empty apartments all day. That sucks, right? You watch HGTV and the shows that you do because it's the people are entertaining. There's an interesting story. Oh, they're going to redo that bathroom? Weird. I thought that bathroom was nice. I wonder what kind of tile they're going to put in it. That's interesting, right? That's an entertaining story. So now that everybody is, is using YouTube, like you say, you know, that's going to be the new next thing. Everyone's going to start following what you do. So what do you tell listeners about breaking through the noise with what they're doing? How do you siphon through all this information and make sure that your story, your message, your platform is what people want to go to? Yeah. My answer to that is going to probably sound a little cliche, but I think it's the only answer I can give, which is your story is the only one in the world that is unique to you. You know, I used to think the same thing. Like, what? I'm, I'm not... I'm not interesting. Like I'm not doing, I, I looked at everything that was on YouTube and like, I don't do that stuff. I don't have Lamborghinis. I don't do crazy things all day. I'm not pulling pranks. I don't play video games. Like I go to an office all day. I'm on my phone all day. And yeah, I see some cool apartments. Is that really interesting? And I, I didn't think it was. You know, a Million Dollar Listing is different. Million Dollar Listing on Bravo is a dramatic docu-series that follows dramatic deals and the sales of tough, big apartments with very crazy people. And that's interesting. But for me, like, do you, people really going to want to see me talk about my thoughts like, in my life? That's weird. And I didn't think so. Turns out, sure. And everybody can cut through the noise with their own personal story. Like you... Your own story, even if you just live in a house, you never leave the house, you got six cats, make content about your damn cats. Give them different names every day. See if you can remember them. Put them under the blanket and see which cat comes out first. Make it a game. Like people will watch that shit. It just depends on what you're doing it for. What's your end game, right? Like you kind of have to think about that too. Like for me, I want to grow brand, grow awareness. Eventually, I want to get to a point where every single person in the world, when they think real estate, they think Ryan Serhant. I'm not there yet by any means. I have a long ways to go, slowly but surely. But that's my end game. And if I can do that, then a lot more people will pick up the phone or send me an email to say, hey, I'm thinking about buying an apartment. You're the real estate guy on the globe. I feel like I should talk to you. And that's good business for me. So you got to have a goal. Like, What's your goal? And it can't just be, well, I want a thousand followers because Becky has a thousand. Like, that's stupid. What's your end game? Is it to, are you trying to sell something? Are you trying to tell a story about something? Are you trying to raise awareness about something? You got to have a, you got to have a goal and then back yourself into the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, Ryan, I could probably keep going on and on here, but we've kind of come to this point. So, we do this little segment towards the end of our episodes now where we use these questions called the combustion questions. It's, it's going to be kind of rapid fire, three random questions that, you know, we've run this very serious algorithm through um, <laughs> to get these, these three questions. And that algorithm is Michael's brain sitting over here. It's been churning. So I'm going to turn this over to Michael and he's going to just ask you three really fast questions. And um, just give us your res first response and then I'll uh, close us up here. So, Michael, go ahead. Sure. All right, Ryan, here are your combustion questions. Number one, if we sent you a big box filled with rolls of duct tape, what would you do with it? I would put the duct tape in my storage closet in the back because you never know 
when you're going to need a bunch of duct tape. And I'd send you a nice handwritten note thanking you for all the duct tape because you never know when you're going to need all the duct tape. And then if we needed some, you would lend it to us? Yeah, I mean, at a price, you know, you sent it to me, it's mine now. (laughs) (laughs) Always a salesman, right? All right. Would you rather climb a mountain or do an epic deep sea dive? Climb a mountain. My ears are not great. Would it be like a major mountain or like a normal mountain? No, I'm not climbing El Capitan with that crazy guy in that uh, that documentary. Have you seen that thing? That thing's totally yes. insane. It's crazy. Yeah, free solo. It's yeah. terrifying. No. That guy's nuts. No. One, if I had the choice, I would do neither. But I can't dive because my blew out my eardrum and my right ear when I was a little kid. And my ears have a really hard time adjusting to pressure. So in airplanes and underwater, it's, it's really tough. And then in a mountain, I really have no interest in climbing Everest or any of those. I, I really don't. I climb like a mini mountain, but I would not enjoy it the entire time. I'd fake it for you though. Sounds like we need to go find a beach. Yeah, <laughs> much better. Dude, life is short. Yes, yes. Sweating and exerting energy is not good for you. All right, <laughs> question number three. Listen, I, I sweat a lot. I work out every single day at five in the morning for an hour and a half. I, I definitely get my workouts in and I sweat a significant amount. I just have no reason to go climb a stupid mountain. <laughs> or go underwater and see a fish. Like, it's good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I love it. All right. Question number three. What do you think about beavers? This is now the weirdest podcast I've ever done. You know what? There's not a whole lot of beavers in New York City, man. I've never actually seen one up here. I think beavers are great, you know? Let them do their thing. You know, trees should block up dams and rivers, right? Like, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I told you I used a really good algorithm for this, Ryan. So, yeah, I can tell. That brain, that brain's working extra hard right now. <laughs> and for you, Ryan, we have a fourth extra question. Okay. You're the special one. You were selected the algorithm. Tell us about your best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Way to use my shit back against me. What was my best day ever? My best day ever changes all the time. I would say, and again, this is going to sound like what everyone would say, like I got married in 2016 and we had no idea how hard it was going to be to, to have a kid. And, you know, we spend our whole lives really, really trying not to get pregnant, right? Like you really, really try. It's like, because, you know, you watch movies, your parents, sex ed classes, you can get pregnant by sneezing on a girl. So like everything you can't, don't get pregnant. Then you get married and you're like, oh, let's have a baby. And then like a month goes by and then two months and then six months and then a year and now that you're frustrated and upset and like, and there's no baby and you don't understand and then you see doctors and all that stuff. So long story short, three years later, after undergoing a brutal IVF treatment for my wife, we gave birth to our baby Zina last February 26th. And like every dad will say it, right? You know, you've got kids. And I feel like I felt it just a lot more because the struggle was just so hard to get her. It was like this little miracle baby. Uh, you know, like it wasn't like we got drunk or like our honeymoon night and like, oh shit, got pregnant. Here comes a baby. Crazy. It's like we worked so hard for this little kid and she came out and she was perfect and pissed off. And, you know, I just remember like holding her for that first time. And she just like looked up at me when I started talking and she knew my voice and like everything I had read in the books. And now like it was all real and it was all so true. And she had this like little smile and it just like, it just blew my mind. Like for my wife's sake, I would not go back to that day because that day was pretty brutal for her. But for my sake, I would relive that day. Like, 
every day. It's just unlike anything else I've ever experienced and probably will ever experience again until we have another one. Wow. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure and can't wait to talk to you more and hear what's going on in your world. But thank you again for being with us. And uh, we look forward um, to talking to you soon, bud. All right. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. None of this is possible without you, the listener. If you like to keep the conversation going, look up Man on Fire on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and at manonfire.co. Give us a shout. Let us know what you think. And please subscribe, rate, and review if you like what we are doing. And if you don't, do it anyways. And remember, always stay safe and be well.